You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the roundup, Samwise and Gollum have been tempted by the One Ring and might have what it takes for modern, but don't overlook Thalia and the Gitrog monster. Plus a tournament report from the Hunter Burton Memorial Open in Modern and Pioneer. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson. We are recording this on the first day of spring, and I am, of course, joined by the Faithless Brewer himself. He is Cave Dan Online. Daniel Schriever, the CEO himself. What is going on, my friend? Oh, I'm doing great, David. Good to hear your voice. Got a little spring in your step, I see. Yeah, in honor of uh, Texas here, I have my Topo Chico <laughs> supporting <laughs> the Texas lifestyle. So what is that exactly? That's like mildly alcoholic water? No, Tobo Chico is not alcoholic. It's like uh, mineral water. Oh, I thought it was like a hard seltzer. No, no, no. It's just a delicious... Okay, so it's literally just $7 water. Well, there's a little bit of uh, sodium in it. It comes from the... Uh, I think Topo Chico refers to like a molehill in hmm. somewhere. <laughs> okay. Mexico somewhere. Uh, maybe in Monterey the monterey province okay but every time i'm in texas i'm offered a topo chico and a lone star so <laughs> this is uh, one half of the equation yeah i know it's big down here i don't quite understand all of the local traditions myself yet it's a mineral water with a little salt in it which is nice because you actually need some salt you don't want to just drink water when it's you know 97 degrees which it will be for five straight months for you down there oh gosh i hope it stays at 97 I fear it's going to get much worse. <laughs> I believe Topo is mole in Spanish. My Spanish was once awesome. It is now fading <laughs> as I age. Gradually completing the replacement of all of your brain cells, Spanish knowledge with magic knowledge. Well, you know, my Spanish was very good. And then I was pursuing a very attractive Puerto Rican gal. So I really like boned up on it to try to like woo her mom. And uh, then at work, I was traveling to Puerto Rico a lot to transfer <laughs> some technology. And then, like, as there's no need, right? If you don't have it, need it for work and you don't need it for uh, sexual congress, then, you know, the <laughs> evolution tells you that you need to uh, invest your uh, energy somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, there's a lesson here in all of that. So I'm not totally sure what that lesson is. Well, I think motivation is, uh, is the key to mastering all skills. <laughs> All right, so we have a big program today. Dan, you played in the Hunter Burton Memorial Tournament. Um, we are going to get an update from you. We are going to go over some technology that we've been liking. Uh, we have a Project Malkator update. But before we can get to all that, we, of course, need to give a shout-out at the top of the show to our newest patrons, Kyle O. and Michael C. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Patreon. Just as a reminder, if you'd like to join us, the best way to support us is to go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Join at whatever level you feel comfortable. And it's not just access to the Discord. It's not just the swag. You also are part of a community. Dan, you have a note here that a bunch of Patreon members came up and uh, chopped it up with you a little bit at the Hunter Burton itself. Yeah, it was just nice to get back out at a big event. The Hunter Burton is kind of... The event of the year in Texas Magic, it's a big 15K that starts on Saturday, but throughout the weekend, you know, they must have had about 2,000 people in and out of the building. So it was just great to talk to people, met some podcast fans, some Faithless Brewing current and former patrons. So shout outs to Clyde, Charles, Ryan, uh, anyone else that I'm forgetting, I apologize for that, but it was really nice to just uh, get back out and talk to people. Also want to give an extra shout out to Michael who just joined our Patreon. He sent me a very nice note. 
heard me talking about the car accident last week and just wanted to send well wishes. That really meant something to me because, I mean, shit, you know, life comes at you fast. Things can change in an instant. And they were talking about that a lot at the Hunter Burton. You know, Hunter Burton was a pro tour magic player, a grinder uh, who tragically lost his life, I guess, nine years ago. They've been running this tournament once a year ever since. And it's just a, a nice event. It's more charity than tournament. That's what they say. Just the, the whole spirit of bringing people together. Awesome. So you participated uh, in the Hunter Burton. So what's the format for the people who haven't played it before? So the main event is a modern 15K, kind of like a Grand Prix, eight rounds on day one. If you achieve six wins on the first day, you can play on day two. For those who did not advance, you know, they have like a Pioneer 5K on Sunday, they have Vintage, they have Standard, Legacy side events, uh, Chaos drafts, all kinds of stuff going on. Um, so yeah, all the proceeds go to charity, all of the staff was volunteer. I certainly contributed. A lot of my entry fees went to charity. <laughs> I did not, uh, <laughs> didn't walk out with much prize money, but it was all for a good cause, so... Just a really nice event, and I got to go with uh, Lawson Zandy, who was on our podcast last week to talk about his Shining Shoal brews, and we just had a really nice time. Excellent. So we are going to get a full tournament report for you. As Dan sort of alluded to, uh, day one went well, but not well enough, so we actually get a day two report on the <laughs> Pioneer uh, 5K metagame. <laughs> he just, he's just more just doing his due diligence in both mm-hmm. formats. This, this is, you know... I mean, I brought decks for each format, and I put equal time into preparing those decks. So right. I kind of suspected it would go this way. That's just foresight. We will get walk through that. First, we just have a few quick cards we want to hit. They did do... Uh, I don't even know what they do these anymore. These, like... It's not the preview season for Lord of the Rings, but it is the introduction to the Lord of the Rings to kind of wet your whistle. Um We talked about a few cards last week, and there were a few cards we did not yet get to or were perhaps not spoiled at the time of the recording. Exactly. So Lord of the Rings is a supplemental set that will be legal in Modern, the first of its kind uh, that will be legal for tournaments in Modern, but not for Pioneer. So these cards that we'll talk about here may impact the Modern metagame in some small way. We'll talk about Reprieve first. One and a white instant, return target spell to its owner's hand, draw a card. A color-shifted remand, so the effect that we think of as being very blue, now in white, with a slight tweak, is that Reprieve does not actually counter the spell, it just returns it to hand. This is relevant for specifically the interaction with uncounterable spells, uh, or with Burrell, Chief of Compliance, if, if you're playing Storm. This gets around Cavern and sends that Primeval Titan right back to their hand. Yeah, I I think um, counter magic for whatever reason has been the effect that they've least bled to other colors. You know, you have black destroying enchantments now. That was sort of a preposterous thing when we were uh, young men. They've really been hesitant. Obviously, white has some counter spells. Um, Ice nine, of course, is is uh, has played the uh, that one white uh, you know counter spell for the other campaign. One more reprieve as a upgrade for the most part like you say there's some corner cases where it's slightly worse but i it's almost a strictly better remand um i think it's going to be very good i I actually think this card is going to see a bunch of play and decks that don't have access to blue and it's going to be a sideboard card of choice i think against titan and some of these other types of decks if you don't want to play land destruction i'm of two minds about this i've hated remand for many years (laughs) <laughs> yes, I remember. <laughs> so I almost like can't trust my own opinions, but Remand does not see play in any decks. It's just sort of proven to be not good enough. And I'm not sure if that's because of this specific Cavern of Souls loophole or if there's just some other factor in play. Well, Remand does not see play because they printed Counterspell, and the point of Modern Horizons is to be better than all the actual cards in Modern. So they've successfully <laughs> removed Remand by printing Counterspell. That's, that's what happened. You used to sometimes see Mana Leak. You used to sometimes see Remand. Mm. Those were cards that were played. This is a card that is in not a Modern Horizon set, but a set that is designed to sell cards to modern players. So it has to be better than existing cards to do that. And it is better than Remand, like we said. You can name these corner cases, but we all know this card is better than Remand. In a color, like, it doesn't compete against Counterspell. What is the best one white 
stop a Primeval Titan from coming into play card that white, a red, white red deck has or a white green deck. I mean, it doesn't have one, right? Or a white black deck. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. If you think of like good uses for the card, using this against the pitch elemental is very attractive. Right? You get your card back immediately and they lose the card they pitched. So it's entirely possible that they won't be able to recast the thing that they evoked. Great against the Delve card, like a Murktide Regent, for example. Um, they don't get their Delved cards back. But again, these are things that Remand itself could do, and Remand is, does not do because nobody plays it. So I don't know if, how relevant that is. I think that the major upgrade, and this is a bit sad, is that white is just a much better color than blue because the white pitch cards are much better than the blue pitch cards. Um, you know, we talked for like an hour about Shining Soul last week. Uh, the Hunter Burton was won by a Hammer Time deck, main decking Solitude, and Emerius Call. So just like a pitch hammer deck. The white pitch effects are very good at dealing with creatures and permanents in play, and white is not so good at dealing with combos that just kill you through the stack. And Reprieve kind of fits in exactly in that slot. You can always just fire it off to cantrip, or you can just pitch it if it's not good. Yeah, and if you're making me guess, and I certainly am not a modern expert at this point, I would guess that this card sees a ton of cyborg play to shore up matchups that you're describing, where the Solitude package, right, interacts with the board very well, and this interacts with, you know, whatever. <laughs> the other stuff. <laughs> well, you know, Cascade, I mean, we can the various Cascade decks, mm -hmm. Primeval Titan, This, th these are the kind of cards that like white-green, let's say you want to make a white-green deck, cannot interact with easily at all. Especially if you have one drops, you know, or, or something like that, then you can't easily play um, Chalice. Yeah, it's a nice hard counter as a cryptic command against the Cascade spell, so that's very nice. Kind of similar to Hallowed Moonlight in many ways, and that's a card that's seeing a lot more play these days. If you hold up two in a white, you can stop a good chunk of the unfair things that might happen to you, but this is also just like a fine card uh, against normal decks. Yeah. Also, very relevant, the best Wrath of God in the format is uncounterable. So, I mean, unlike Remand, if you're like playing humans and this is a cyborg card, that, that is just an insane tempo play. All right, David, how about Samwise, the Stouthearted? All right, Samwise, the Stouthearted, one in a white legendary creature halfling peasant. Flash, 2-1, so two mana for 2-1 Flash. Getting uh, Snapcaster Mage vibes here. When Samwise the Stouthearted enters the battlefield, choose up to one target permanent card in your graveyard that was put there this turn. Return it to your hand, then the ring tempts you. So this templating, the ring tempts you, is on a handful of cards. Uh, it was on the Frodo card that you talked about last week. It's on Samwise. It'll also be on the next card we're going to talk about, uh, Golem. We don't know what it does yet, so we can't exactly, you know, if it's a negative effect, this card is wildly unplayable. If it's a somewhat positive effect... This card is, you know, pretty interesting. And if it's a super powerful effect, positive effect, then this card is awesome, right? So we, we don't know. Yeah, and I wanted to mention this because my initial thought when I saw Frodo was, you know, Frodo was all self-contained, right? You activate Frodo's abilities and each time you get tempted. And then the payoff of that temptation is spelled out on the card, right? You can win the game if you make it all the way to Mount Doom with Frodo. But that doesn't mean that's all that the ring tempting you does, right? And the more I look at cards like Samwise, the more I think, okay, this is actually probably like a dungeon mechanic. There's a memory issue. So there's going to be a card in the booster packs that tracks how many times the ring has tempted you. And it could just be like a, a monarch effect or, you know, every time you get tempted, you have to venture into the dungeon in some way and some mechanical thing happens. So this could be a totally different card than what it appears to say, just based on that little phrase. Yeah, I mean, the the first thought I had, because this the Frodo was spoiled on Reddit um, a while ago, and the Reddit spoilers have actually just been 100% accurate, so we didn't talk about it on the show, that's not kind of what we do, but I was thinking about it already. I had the exact same thought you did, that, okay, it's just, it's a thing that you count, and then, but what kind of struck me is how weak that would make the Frodo card, if that's all it did. Right. You just had to level it up, and then do combat damage with this one card four times. Just like, what is going, you know, so that can't be right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that makes me think that it actually does something somewhat positive. And the degree to which it's positive, right, it, it, just say it's at the level of entering into a dungeon, that's not particularly powerful. 
the new dungeon they made <laughs> is much more powerful, right? So you see just minor level ups uh, like that can make a huge difference in a card. Pure speculation, but something that uh, I think Judge Rob in our Discord suggested was it might be a combination of losing life and or self-milling for every time the ring has tempted you in a game. Like each turn you got to mill one each time you've been tempted. I'm going to latch onto that because that's what I want. That's actually extremely powerful. Um, and I please hope that that's what it turns out to be. Because <laughs> that would make Gollum insane. Milling yourself for one? I hope it's not that. I hope it's like a thing that does affects the actual board. <laughs> yeah, it's, th this is the shooter mechanic. I don't want anything that goes into play. No, no, no. <laughs> I want something to move a series of cards from one zone to another. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I want the temptation to be like each turn you have to mill one for each time you've attempted this game. So it's like a escalating self mill. And then draw two cards for every one mana draft common that you haven't played. <laughs> exactly. So apart from all that, the main part of Sam, 2-1, flash, ETB, rebuys a permanent that died this turn. So a little echoes of brought back, a little echoes of renegade rallier. In modern, you can always get a fetch land. You can get any, a solitude back if you evoked a solitude. So it's not too hard to turn Samwise into a clean two-for-one as long as you have some use for the 2-1 the body after that. You can do cuter things too, like Ghost Quarter is a very interesting card to get back if you're in like a Taxa's shell. Samwise can protect your Leonin Arbiters, protect your Stoneforge Mystics, protect your Thalios or whatever. Uh, makes your Aether Vials a little bit better. They just have more stuff to do, so... That's a potential home for it. Yeah. Um, I even have a note here. You know, they banned Ren in six because of how good it is with Wasteland. This plus Caracas uh, with another Violent Play is... Oh, gosh. <laughs> Ren and sixing, you know, a Wasteland every turn. Now, obviously, they can kill the creature. I, no one has to explain why this is worse than Ren and six. But Ren and six is so good, it's banned. <laughs> Oh, that's really um, nasty. I did not. So that, you know, just something to, to think about. Caracas is a white land for people who don't know. It taps for a white, and then it can tap to bounce target legendary uh, non-land permanent. And um, yeah, just, you know, strictly better planes <laughs> for those of us. I think I had one for many years. Uh, I think it's super expensive now, right? Two, three hundred dollars. Um yeah, just there's a bunch of legends. If they have come into play effects again, if every time it comes into play, the ring tempting does something more than milling, maybe even the milling. Uh, you know, not, we're kind of in business, right? You just if you can trigger this over and over again with your uh, violin too. Uh, you know, you because you want to violin your Stoneforge Mystic, you want to violin your Thalia. So yeah, maybe, maybe there's something there. We have to we have to see. It's it's just so hard for us to speculate if we don't know what the actual mechanic does. I think it's close to playable, though. Is that, that's what I'm saying. Is even with the, even with the ring being neutral, or you know, vaguely positive, I think this is like actually close to being on the level. I believe that Caracas was in the file for MH2. Uh, Sam Black said that his first day on the job as consultant, he crossed that out. <laughs> Say, get the crap out of here. <laughs> We're not having Caracas in modern. It was going to be the box topper, and I think uh, he was correct to get that out of there. Uh, a little cleanup. Uh, Caracas only vouches uh, legendary creatures, not legendary permanents. Hmm. It says legend on it. Uh, so, you know, of course, at the time, people didn't know if that meant you could bounce a legendary land because Caracas is legendary, but legendary creature. Anyway. Interesting. Well, our next legend is Gollum Patient Plotter. One in a black legendary creature, Halfling Horror. When Gollum Patient Plotter leaves the battlefield, the ring tempts you. Activated ability, black and sacrifice a creature. Return golem from your graveyard to your hand. Activate as a sorcery. It is a 3-1 creature for one and a black. Doesn't seem like a card that would matter, but I will take literally any excuse to talk about Crabvine. So I've engineered this episode <laughs> <laughs> to just like see yes. Crabvine information throughout the, throughout the 60 minutes or whatever. I lost a match that I shouldn't have lost. I mean... Shouldn't have. I, I didn't think I was going to lose, but the problem was I had two Stitcher suppliers in play and I could not kill them. Crabvine doesn't play any sacrifice effects. Um, Dread Return is banned in Modern. So there really isn't much you can do in terms of like cards with flashback or cards that you can just put in your graveyard that will enable a self-sacrifice. I think Rite of Oblivion is really the only one that comes to mind, uh, unless you want to count like Lava Dart. You can Lava Dart your Stitcher supplier, I suppose. 
So I was thinking about this, like that would be kind of nice if there was some decent card that could kill my search of supplier and Gollum does that. It's not great, right? You have to do it at sorcery speed, but the three, one body isn't nothing, right? That's half of Avenge Vine right there. And I mean, who knows? <laughs> who knows what the ring tempting you does? Does it self mill? Please say it self mills. It is also interesting, all these cards being, you know, let's just say borderline playable at this point, you're just going to have a bunch of cheap legends, right? I mean, we, we know that they printed a lot more legends recently. It sounds like there's going to be, you know, a rare golem, uh, an uncommon golem, maybe a, a mythic rare one. There's going to be multiple versions of Frodo. We know there's going to be multiple versions of Gandalf. Uh, at least the hobbits we would expect, and even Merry and Pippin, to be relatively cheap. And if they are all mostly white and black, although I could certainly imagine them being green as well, um, you start to have like an interesting density of a bunch of legend effects, right? You can make a mono legends type of deck in modern, perhaps Mox Amber is a modern powerful card, modern powered card. If you have enough cards that aren't weak, right? That you're not just playing to turn Amber on if they're powerful enough on their own. Um, so yeah, that's again, even without the possible super powerful uh, effect of... Um, what the ring tempting you might do so correct me if i'm wrong but Ashnod flesh mechanist that's the a black one drop legend that also has like a sacrificing theme right you can sacrifice creatures with Ashnod. yep when it attacks you may sacrifice another creature you control and you create a um power stone so between Ashnod and golem that that is kind of a legendary self-sec deck in some way yeah yeah exactly so i there, there's just seeds of something there, right? And they, they continue to print a lot of legends. So it's just something to be very aware of. The only Mox that's left <laughs> in in modern is Mox Amber. Uh, we know that effect is very powerful. It just depends on, you know, do you have enough cards? We've learned that you can't just play Mox Amber and then play a bunch of bad cards, right, to try to take advantage of this extra mana. You want all the other cards to be good enough. And then Mox Amber just gives you these nutty turns. Yeah, and little Faith is Brewing finance reminder, uh, this is probably a good time to just buy your Mox Ambers. They were reprinted in the Brothers War on the bonus sheet. So instead of being 40 or $50, they're, they're kind of like $20 right now. So if you don't have your play set, you might as well pick it up now. There you go. <laughs> All right, David, what do you think about the Shire? The Shire, legendary land. It enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary creature. It's a pretty tough cost. Taps for a green. One and a green, tap it, and tap an untapped creature you control. Create a food token. Um, yeah, this is tough. I, I do like that they aren't making the same mistake that they did with all the channel lands, which are one of the worst designs they've, they've done in the last several years, where they're just strictly better than a forest. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I would have liked the initial cost of the Shire to not be so steep. Um, especially if you're going to make it tap two and a creature to get the food. That's not that big of a deal. I know they don't want like a one of Shire to be ubiquitous. Okay, fine. But I, I think this, I think they really punish this card. Uh, Mount Doom is the same way, right? Where it's just like, why is it so bad? I understand <laughs> they don't want them to again be ubiquitous, but they're just like unreasonably punitive in, with some of these cards and it's like all oh, random channel and like Besaju is just way better than a forest it's not even close you have to put one in every green deck forever it's just so weird so you're, you're talking about coming into play tapped right not how much the activation costs i'm saying because the activation cost which i think is very reasonable i think that's perfect okay. you should make it easier for it to come into play tapped because it's making a random food is just not powerful enough for most people to even play it because hmm. it's not a fetchable land it does mess with most modern mana bases. It's not even like a card that, for instance, Titan, which plays all these utility lands, they wouldn't even play this card uh, because it does so little. It just seems so strange to also add this hugely punitive clause to come into play untapped as well. So there is one food deck in modern, um, sometimes called Asmo Food or just Red Green Food. It had a pretty good showing at the Hunter Burton. Um, Aspiring Spike, who is a Texas native. Uh, he brought red green food and I saw a couple of the people playing it, um, played against one of them. And that person started off five Oh and made day two. So it's a real deck kind of off the radar deck. So th- there is some suggestion that, you know, why not put the Shire into a food deck? You know, asthma was a legend. So you, you can get the whole farm to table thing where, you know, the food is growing right there in the Shire and then served up in the kitchen. 
I don't know if that's worth it. Like gingerbread cabin does the same thing and there really aren't that many gingerbread cabins in most food decks because it's it's just too punishing if it's tapped early. So I think you would probably want to max out on more cabins before you started playing the Shire. That being said, you know, it is always good to get that bonus food. I mean, that, that can be the difference between two activations with Asmo and one in a turn. So it's definitely not a bad effect, but I, I'm not sure. I'm sure someone will try it. I don't think it will stick. No, I mean, you're only playing four legends in the whole deck also. So, well, And this can't cast it. I mean, it can't cast the one legend you have. So even if you play it tapped on turn one. True, but I mean, Asmo is like the key card. So you play four green finale to make sure you get it. In any case. Oh, you better hope this isn't your second green source exactly. <laughs> to cast your finale onto you. <laughs> exactly. Lastly, Tom Bombadil. Do you have any love for Tom Bombadil? Oh, yeah. I understood why he was excised from the movies, but uh, I actually really like that part of the books. Uh, most people sort of find it boring. and But that's that's Tolkien, right? He loved just building the world. There's very little narrative thread. It's so different than how people process media now, which is not even watching movies, just watching TV shows. And it's just like, well, what's the plot advancing? Um, this card is super well designed. I think it's super cool. Uh, I don't think it's anywhere close to the power level of, of modern, but uh, I, I love what they what they did with Tom Bobadil. So we're looking at a legendary creature, God Bard. Costs Wooburg, white, blue, black, red, green, and it's a 4-4 creature. As long as there are four or more lower counters among sagas you control, Tom Bombadil has hexproof and indestructible. Whenever the final chapter ability of a saga you control resolves, reveal cards from the top of your library. Until you reveal a saga card, put that card onto the battlefield, the rest on the bottom. This ability triggers only once each turn, so the sagas don't stop here, right? One song finishes, you start the new one. It has that protection clause of only once per turn. <laughs> That's very important because of the read ahead mechanic, so you can just read ahead immediately to chapter 3 and get another Tom Bombadil trigger, but only once per turn. Yeah. Sagas are the fixed planeswalkers. I've been very, very complimentary of them. You know, on this podcast for like a year and a half plus, they've really leaned into sagas being very important. The sagas that flip into creatures specifically fable, but even other ones in standard have seen a ton of play. Um, it's just a much more pleasant play pattern than against planeswalkers. This is, I'm guessing without knowing, just an EDH staple for people who want to make the like five color <laughs> saga deck <laughs> uh, for lack of a better word. Uh, and a bunch of sagas happen to ramp you and find lands and fix your mana and stuff like that. So I'm guessing this card is going to just be in a bunch of super cool EDH decks and no other, no other location. Yeah, that, that seems right. Which is a perfect place for Tom Bombadil to be, by the way. It should not be a modern staple. It should be in a bunch of cool EDH decks. That's, that's, <laughs> that sounds beautiful to me. It's just surprised me at how many recent sets have contained sagas, and there's no sign of that trend stopping. They're, they're printing more and more sagas every set. When they do that, the sagas matter cards are going to come. I think Tom Bombadil is maybe the first and was going to be a, a series of them, you know, maybe spread out over the next few sets. Probably too expensive, like you're saying, David, but at some point there will be a Sagas deck. So just keep that in mind. Absolutely. All right, so that is a first look at Lord of the Rings. Briefly on March of the Machines. So today, earlier today, Mark Rosewater tweeted out his little teaser where he gives snippets of text from cards in the upcoming March of the Machines set. Official previews kick off March 29th, so that's about... Well, we can change from when we're recording this. Little tidbits. Uh, he said that Phyrexian Tribal is going to be one of the supported archetypes. So some kind of lowered effects um, uh, that has not really been relevant so far, right? There are a bunch of cards that have been errated to become Phyrexians, but there is, hasn't really been a unifying thread so far or a reason to play them together. There will be one more... Sword of X and Y, I believe it's going to be the blue-black one. That's the end of the cycle. So, and this will be a Pioneer Legal Sword. Yeah, red-green one made uh, no noise at all. I think it sees occasional plays like a one-of in the boat's sideboard. Um, you don't want it to be ubiquitous. It'd be nice if this card was hopefully playable somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay if it's not. I don't know. 
<laughs> I have no great love of swords, but. Well, I mean, you're completing these cycles, you know, and the the whole thing is they're catching in on like cool parts of magic's history, and then they just like bungle it. They have nothing. They swords mean nothing. They've got no resonance with anybody, and they don't see any play. So why even complete the cycle then? Like, what's the point? They must be popular. I, I can't explain why. They were. <laughs> so no new cards yet from March of the Machines, but I did want to ask you, David, about um, Thalia and the Gitrog monster. We kind of skipped this one because I didn't think it was going to make the cut for Constructed, but you've had maybe a change of heart. You actually just sent me a very interesting list that you brewed up yesterday with this, uh, this legendary team up. Yeah, so I saw this card. I, I made a note. I, I don't think I recorded the episode right after this was released and said, you know, this is basically a skip along with the other four mana one that uh, like shut off activated abilities and and gained them. Um, I forget who that was a combination of. Trina and Linvala, I believe. Yeah. The the thing that happened, though, is I've just played a bunch of leagues lately. And every time I'm like, man, I wish there was a way I could like advance my board with an aggressive creature. That's still a pretty effective hate bear. And this card is actually really well positioned. Uh, you came to a sort of similar conclusion, I think, unbeknownst to you. You just came about a different way, which was Dan, when I was at work, sends me a message. He's like, we should be playing uh, four Demolition Field and four Field of Ruin in our list because people are <laughs> playing so few basic lands. Yes. What are all the threats uh, that are colorless in Pioneer? This is something we should think about. And I didn't really connect that to this until I thought about it, but I was like, Man, every deck is playing like one uh, or two basics, basically, except for, you know, mono blue, mono white, mono green. Um, and the thing about Thalia is she's actually resistant to red removal. So she's a straight up two for one against them. Making creatures come into play tapped is actually really important against a handful of decks. So you just I'm just thinking the play pattern, like, for instance, after the um, red blue creativity list won the Pro Tour for B Duke Hall of Famer. Uh, you, you play against a deck like once a league. So if you cast Thalia, let's say on turn three, you cast Sylvan Carry at it and then Thalia. They have one one card that can stop it from coming down. They, they play four two mana uh, of the bad mana league. So if they don't do that, they don't have a single red spell that can kill it. They have to spend two cards to kill it. Other than that, they play one or two basics. So every land comes into play tapped. And then even when they combo, they can't kill you that turn with Thalia in play. Their, car, their creature comes into play tapped. Um... And so it's like a full time walk there, not to mention the fact that it may be time walking them every turn on putting lands into play. And then even if you think of like Shieldred, they'll often attack you with their 2-2 Goblin because they have a two mana three damage spell. So you often like, oh, do I want to block with Shieldred here or not? Because it lets them kill Shieldred for just spending one card. This just kills the 2-2. So they've got their extra... Um, treasure at the cost of just losing their tutu it doesn't do anything they still have to spend two cards to kill your thalia that's just one deck so the card thalia and the Gitrog monster it's siege rhino mana costs one white black green for a four four human frog horror first strike and death touch you get an extra land play each turn whenever thalia and the Gitrog monster attacks sack a creature or a land then draw a card so that that is the Gitrog half and then this hate bear text creatures and non-basic lands your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped that is thalia text and if i'm not mistaken that exact line of text is all currently available on the two and a white thalia from shadows yes exactly you've seen white decks play that as a cyborg card um it's good against control decks for instance the problem is it dies to one mana removal spells from everything and it dies to stomp so it it, it, it isn't efficient at dealing with Huge amounts of decks is a main deck card. I think it's still an okay cyborg card. But this is also a real threat. The other thing is, if you're playing in a deck with Sylvan Carry added, mm. a lot of times those decks can flood. You're not playing Fable to fix your draws, and you're not playing the 3-2 that makes a blood, so you don't get to filter as much. This fixes that problem. Like you, Even the turn you play it, okay, Sylvan Carry added on 2, play this on 3, play any of your MDFCs tapped, just because you can play them. It's not like Growth Spiral, so all your MDFCs are just free land plays at that turn. Um, and then every turn, it just turns any of those random cards into anything else. So if you're looking for a Thoughtseize, it goes and finds it. It can attack into anything. I've been fooling around with Kefnet a lot. As a 4-5 blocker, it was incredible. And a 4-4 first strike death touch creature is kind of like a 4-5 <laughs> creature in the sense that it profitably blocks 
every creature out of red black. They can't attack into it at all. Um, it blocks chariot, just kills it, stone dead. If they cast chariot and you already have a Thalia in play, their cats come into play taps. You just get to attack them for four. When they go and find a tracks that it's tapped, so it's a full time walk there, plus all their lands are non basics. Those all come into play untapped. They don't have a way to kill Thalia. And again, Thalia's just like tearing through your deck. Uh, to just find whatever, whatever, whatever your answers are. So I actually think this card is like really good. It's it's like the perfect size. I don't think it's going to be that great against red, black, or white, blue, it, like super interactive decks. So I'm probably just going to trade card for card with it. But against all these other decks, it's again like Shieldred is is really good in the um, the fast aggro matchups and some of the combo matchups to just give you corner. And it's not great in red, black, right? They just dread board. It does it does two damage. Okay, fine. Um, but if it's unanswered in the same way that Shieldred is. Um, it's actually super powerful, I think. It's it's literally like against the Atraxa deck, the Neoform Atraxa deck. They they can't kill it. Every land they have comes into play tap, so delays probably Atraxa by a full turn. And then when Atraxa comes into play, it comes into play tap, so they can't block that turn. So you almost get like, it's almost a double time walk against them. You might still lose <laughs> uh, if they, you know, if they, if they can do it fast enough and everything else, but. I'm intrigued by how to take best advantage of like the extra land plays and this attack trigger, you can sacrifice a creature or a land to draw a card. So it sounds like you almost want to like be playing lands out of the graveyard. I'm thinking of your perennial behemoth lists that you've been fooling around with in different shells. Thinking of sacking a citrus supplier to get more stuff in the graveyard. Like there's definitely some hint of like you can exploit the graveyard with this if you want, but I guess you don't have to. It's also just a giant beater. I started with thinking it that way, but I think you just want to play a bunch of lands and creatures in your deck and then play this with the Augur, the bad courser of Crufix. So if you just imagine turn two carry added, turn three this, play a whatever land tapped, play the Augur. Now you have your coven. You have three different powers, zero, uh, two, and four. And then any land from your deck, you can play two of them. And if you hit any creature, you can play that too. And you get an attack with Thalia to clear the top of your deck. Let's say, okay, my the top of my deck's the Thoughtseize. So I attack with Thalia, sack a land, draw the Thoughtseize. So now I'm drawing to more lands and creatures. Um, oh, you're talking about Augur of Autumn from Midnight yes. Hunt. Wow. Okay. Yes, which you liked a lot more than I did. I actually think it's like, again, now we have a four-power creature. It's just it's a, just a very natural curve, like carry added into Thalia, into Augur with two or three mana up, and then two land plays and creature plays in front of us you're, you're talking about maybe going up to two or three extra cards that next turn i totally forgot that was a thing okay yeah all right well we'll have a lot more to say about march of the machine very soon so stay tuned for that we'll shift gears now and i will tell you about currently existing modern and pioneer and some of the decks that I played and played against. Because um, I played a lot of Magic this weekend, David. A lot of Magic this weekend. You did. So let's start at the, the heart of the matter. You had kind of walked us through your testing, which I thought was really fascinating. You were trying out Crabvine. You were a little frustrated with some of your results. You started playing Colorless Eldrazi Beatdown, not Eldrazi Tron. It's an important distinction. And you'd been getting some pretty good results. And then you had been toying around with both of those lists uh oftentimes i'd <laughs> be looking on to see results and i'd see we had both of them uh rented on our account <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah to tell us about you know sort of the conclusion of your testing and then and then your uh your uh your run on day one there at uh, the hunter burton classic yeah so i ended up going with crabvine you know quarterback controversy is no good for any team and eventually you have to make a decision i went with crabvine it's you know the higher upside deck basically eldrazi is very fun they have a lot in common in terms of being very consistent at mulliganing for specific starting sequences, and I enjoyed that, but the Eldrazi is just like a little too fair, and it's a little bit too easy to just blow the first game by keeping a hand for the wrong reasons. So this is specifically a Chalice of the Void problem, where like Chalice ranges from game winning on one, game winning on zero, or completely useless. And if you don't know what your opponent's playing and you just get it wrong, you'll, you'll just take a win and convert, convert it to a loss by choosing wrong uh, with your mulligans and your chalices. Whereas Crabvine, you know, it's vulnerable to graveyard hate, of course, but it's got a plan against it. It has a plan against almost every deck except Rakdos. Rakdos Undying, Rakdos Scam, as it's called, is just a nightmare for the deck. And a lot of the frustration that I was feeling about, you know, Crabvine's not performing was because you keep running into Rakdos all the time in Magic Online. 
And it feels really bad <laughs> to just get wiped off the map round after round by Rectos. What I concluded was, after playing more leagues with both decks, I'm okay with having a bad matchup. Modern is very diverse, so even though Rakdos is very popular, you know, it's still like a tiny percentage of the metagame. The Hunter Burton had almost 500 players, Rakdos Scam was the second most popular deck it turned out, and that was still only 6% of the field. Like, 27 okay. players, 6%. So, so you like those odds? I do like those odds, because when I look at the rest of the field, like, yeah, I, I have a pretty good shot against most of it. So Crabvine is what I chose. I spent you know, the last few days before the event trying to get the flex slots right, trying out new tech. I found some interesting stuff. I think Master of Death is a card that we may have been sleeping on, both for Crabvine and just in general in modern. It's a very, very interesting card. It's like the, the blue-black squeed. Do you know this one, David? I did not. I watched the uh, little clip of you playing, and uh, they were like, oh, Dan's uh, got a Master of Death in his graveyard. I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> I don't even know what this card does. So for people like me, who may have been equally ignorant, uh, it's one, a blue and a black for a 3-1 zombie wizard. When it enters the battlefield, you surveil two. Dan is a renowned lover of surveil. Mm -hmm. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, if it's in your graveyard, you may pay a life, and if you do, return it to your hand. So that's that Squee Goblin Nabob text. You do have to pay life, but in exchange, you get a much better creature. It's a zombie, so it, it triggers a grave crawler if you're trying to get Avenge Vine in one turn. It's a 3-1, so if you're just trying to add to the board, you know, there's a lot of fail states in Crab Vine, a lot of broken down games after the initial volley of hate and counterplay. And more importantly, and this is why I put the card in the first place, it's a blue card that just comes back to your hand. So one of the biggest discussions that just keeps going around and around in like the Crabvine communities, the Crabvine Discord, <laughs> is is Rotting Rats a good card? Or like, it seems so weak. Maybe we should just play Haunted Dead instead or Stitchwing Scab. These are much bigger effects. And the problem with those, the reason they are not better than the Rotting Rats is that you, you really don't have extra cards in your hand. Like I've, I've outlined before when Anthony Menino was on the show, like you have to mulligan super aggressively with this deck. You have to be willing to just snap off mulligans again and again and again. And I'm routinely starting at five cards, starting at four cards. Those hands are not going to have extra things to just give away to the Haunted Deads. So that's what initially got me thinking about it. And it kind of had that same problem where everyone assumes force and negation and subtlety are your best interaction pieces in games two and three, but they've got that problem where you often just like won't have a blue card to pitch to them. So that's why I put the masters in. I, I tried as many as three copies in some leagues just to like make sure I would, I would always have something to pitch to my force or my subtlety. And it, it worked like it didn't always work, right? Sometimes you would just have to, pitch whatever you had to survive the key turn and then pick up the master later. But I was impressed at how even in those situations, the master contributed meaningfully to the team just as a three, one that surveils too. And so just so people are aware, your sideboard has three subtlety and two force of negation. So bringing in these free blue counter spells is a big part of your sideboard plan in certain matchups. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could pay more forces. You could play three or four or force. You could play four subtlety. I've messed with the numbers a lot. So one master is what I played main deck and it was pretty good all weekend. Other bit of new tech, I played one bait hook angler over the fourth grave crawler. This is just like a blue grave crawler, not a zombie, but it's importantly a cast trigger for Vengevine. In the sideboard, I decided to give Haywire Might a chance. I'm not sold on this card. It's of course very good. The idea being that it's a disenchant, you know, it kills Leyline on the Void, it kills Blood Moons, it kills Ursa Sagas, and it's a creature for your two creatures for Revenge Vine plan. It's just not efficient, right? Like, it does cost two total mana, and one thing that kept coming up was that it does not kill Unlicensed Hearse. Oh, if they can crew it. Exactly, exactly. And I actually don't know how many people are aware of this. Like, <laughs> I had a very interesting game where I was, like, pretty behind against a, a Jund player with Unlicensed Hearse. Drew the Haywire Might, realized that the most likely way to win the game is to just like put on a big show, right? Like act all like, yes, you know, slam down the Haywire Might and be like, exile your hearse and then make another play and just try to start to kind of scam them into forgetting that they can crew. Um, I decided not to do it. It just kind of felt disrespectful, <laughs> but it occurred to me like that was much more likely to actually win the game than, you know, just killing the Urza Saga, which is what I ended up doing. Uh, Cause actually, I don't know if he would have seen that play or not. 
Yeah, I think you have to do it, man. People don't realize that. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to make a big show of it, and you don't have to make a play right afterwards. I mean, I don't think you're scamming anybody. It's a legal target when you're sacrificing haywire mite. Yeah. I would have been embarrassed if they'd seen it, and then I would have to explain that I was actually disrespectfully trying to trick them, and that I knew that it was not going to work. But anyway, that's that's haywire mite. So I tried that over my trusty natural states. I played three haywire mites in the sideboard. And finally, the there's a the option to trim any number of grave crawlers, narcabibos, etc. for additional flex cards. And I talked in previous weeks about all the cards I was interested in trying, but I got to give credit to Lawson uh, as we were debating these final slots before the tournament. He was just like, "What's wrong with narcabiba? Narcabiba is good, right? Like, why not just play four? And I think he's absolutely right. Like, narcabiba, while not impressive, is just an important contributor to all of these little bonuses we like to get, like the the gaze that finds the Narcamoeba and the prize amalgam. It's just such an important card for prize amalgam. However good you think that flex card is going to be, it's probably not better than the fourth Narcamoeba, at least in game one. So I played all four. Finally, there was this question of, like, do you play basics and how many? And this has been a long-running argument I've had with other Crabvine players. Anthony Menino was famously playing three swamps and no islands. I insisted on putting an island in. Now I'm coming for that second swamp, right? That second swamp has been screwing me time and again. I don't think we need two swamps. I think it's like actively bad to have two swamps. I want one swamp, one island, and I want an extra blue-black dual land. Because you do self-milk quite a lot. You're often keeping one land hands with otherworldly gaze, and swamp does not help you in those scenarios. That actually screwed me, <laughs> cost me a game right away in the tournament. So I think going forward, I'm I'm playing four watery graves and just one basic swamp. So I have made like some improvements, I think, to the list. And yeah, I actually kind of like where the deck is at. In the tournament itself, I came up just short. Got to five wins, five and two, playing for day two. They They called us up for a future match at that point. I don't know why they didn't pick undefeated players. I think they just wanted... You know, they wanted people to see blood. So <laughs> one of these players is not leaving the future match area alive for day two. It was against Murktide. It was a very interesting match. Uh, I'll put a link to the, the Hunter Burton stream with a timestamp in the episode description. So I do recommend watching it. Really interesting back and forth games. Unfortunately, there were only two games because we used up the entire time uh, in our first two games. There was just no time to even start game three, and so we ended in a draw that eliminated both of us from the tournament. You know, I didn't keep track, but watching it didn't seem like it went that long. How long are the rounds at the Hunter Burton? I agree. Normal length? Yeah, they're 50-minute rounds, 50 minutes. And I, I also felt huh. like it passed really fast, but because it's on stream, like you can, you can check. It's exactly okay. 54 minutes of gameplay time plus a four-minute judge call because I forgot a trigger. So yeah, it yeah, was... I was fast forwarding through chunks of it, but uh, <laughs> I can only watch so much self mill before I get uh, you know very excited. Um, I, I didn't think anyone was playing slow. No, I didn't think so either. It was definitely fifty minutes of play. They were just like complicated turns with a lot of mechanical actions to resolve. A lot of connive triggers had to happen. A lot of a lot of surveilling had to happen. It was it was a great match. Um, it's a shame that uh, we couldn't actually bring it to an actual conclusion. Did either of you propose uh, stepping aside so that someone could day two or? We did. Um, unfortunately, we just couldn't come to an agreement. And when I say agreement, like even saying that out loud runs the risk of a disqualification. The anti-bribery rules are very clear and you, you cannot offer anything. You cannot really negotiate anything. All you can do is ask nicely if the other person wants to concede. The judge is right there the whole time. So like, the more you say, the more you run the risk of like accidentally disqualifying yourself. So there's a kind of limited like what you can, how much you can persuade someone, if that makes sense. I think we were both just like kind of bummed. The round ended kind of as a surprise. Like I talk about this in my tournament report, which I'm going to put up at faithisbrewing.com. There was no clock in that room. Like it was a very secluded area out of the way of the main hall. We had no idea how much time had passed. Uh, I don't think the judge watching our match knew either. Just like at some point as we were starting game three, someone rushed in and said, wait, 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 you know, your time's up. Put the decks away. 
And that was it. Yeah, I think you guys were shuffling. Exactly. The, the announcing team was like, yeah, these guys, I don't think these guys realize like how little time is left. I didn't realize there was no clock in the room. So that's interesting. No, no, there was no clock at all. Yeah, time had not come yeah. up at all. And, you know, they they'd said we were on a different timer because, you know, right as the actual round started, we were taken away to this secluded room and they said, you know, don't start yet. Wait till we give you the go ahead, et cetera, et cetera. So it just had a different feel to it. And it was just a surprising way to end. Anyway. Played a lot of great magic with Crabvine, and I'm feeling good about the deck. I think I'll run it back the next time I have a modern event. All right. Any other observations from the modern scene? So I do want to talk a little bit about Lawson's deck. Lawson was on last week talking about his Shining Shoal testing. He made a few changes. He put the Chancellor of the Annex back in, and the reason he did this was because it turns out that uh, Hank the Obese, the Magic Online player Hank the Obese, kind of pioneered this mono white shoal humans just so happens to be like an Austin, Texas native. Um, so he's in the same city as us and he had seen our episode go up and got in touch with Lawson. They discussed a bunch of options and he managed to convince Lawson that the real way to scam people with this deck is to play a turn one Ragavan backed up by the white chancellor, which sounds filthy. <laughs> like, they shouldn't be sure. allowed to get away with this, right? Like turn one Ragavan and also your next spell costs one extra to cast. Um, and sure enough, you know, when Lawson put this together, he immediately started off his tournament that way and sent me a screenshot or actually a real camera shot of <laughs> he's hard cast his chancellor on turn four because the Ragavan went uncontested and just made three treasures. So, yeah, I mean, that seems to be where he landed on that. Um, he started off 3-0, got some great wins and unfortunately just hit three bad matchups after that and got balanced at three and three. But I'll put a link to his list as well. And uh, of course, he's always happy to chat about uh, what he's thinking about this and other decks too. Yeah, that Chancellor is one of those super high variance cards, right? Like in your opening hand, it's amazing. If it's your first draw, it's a little like uh, (laughs) some of those other cards where it's like, man, (laughs) being in my seventh card instead of my eighth card is a really big deal. It is, and I think that's why he moved off it initially, but he cast it a bunch of times <laughs> throughout the, the tournament. Yeah, if it's castable, I mean. It's not supposed to be cast, but it can be cast off of Fable. Right, so that was a new addition to the deck, Fable, the Mirror Breaker, and Ragavan. So the work continues. So that's modern. Uh, shifting gears Sunday, for those of us who drew our way out of day two, <laughs> there was a Pioneer 5K, and I came prepared. I assembled Neoform Atraxa, the deck that we talked about last week, right? This is uh, a new, more refined take on the list that you'd sketched up, David, uh, weeks ago, right? Just the all-in Atraxa deck. I tried that. I added a bunch of interaction to it, but we were still using the Grissy Salvage plus Arcane Proxy package as our extra copies of Neoform. It turns out that you'll just get a much smoother experience if you replace Arcane Proxy with Founding the Third Path. I think maybe Todd Anderson or people who were in his community had been working on this a lot and they put up a bunch of great results. So this deck sort of exploded onto the scene in the last week. With Stubborn Denial main deck, that was another big innovation so that you can kind of get a get a hard lock after you attract some of them. So this is the deck that I wanted to just try. I just experience it for myself. Put it together, made a couple tweaks, played the Pioneer 5K, and, you know, I, I kind of hated the deck, to be honest. I felt like it was not nearly <laughs> as good as advertised. You didn't like the deck before when you went 4-1, so... <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, I've been told that this, this version that this version solved problems, right? That it was very sleek, and that, you know, once the attracts us down, you're just going to win. But that's not true. There were multiple matchups where I got the Attracta down and I was still dead on board. Like, they had a Priest of Forgotten Gods and I was just dead on board. <laughs> priest is just waiting to kill the Attracta. <laughs> Another player was playing a Humans deck and they had a bunch of Reflector Mages, which killed all my Delve creatures. Very embarrassing. Oh yeah, that's brutal. And then if I if I had even gotten the Attracta down, it would have killed the Attracta as well. <laughs> The blue-white control player was just, like, waiting for me. They're just salivating, waiting for me to cast Neoform. They've got, you know, the Dovin's Veto is just, like, stable to their forehead. They're like, go ahead. <laughs> Anytime you like, you can cast the Neoform. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm not going to do that. Uh, so, yeah, there were a lot of blowout losses. Uh, I started 4-2, and two, ended up 4-4, four and four, but 
despite you know winning half the matches, that the losses were not even close. I just got destroyed uh, over and over again. It is worth noting that um, there's been additional variations of this deck that have, I don't know if they're better or worse. They've readopted Grizzly Salvage, which makes sense because the card is insane. And now they're playing Soul Flare as one of yes. their delve targets. So you have the backup plan of like Soul Flare with the Zatalpa. Some people are even playing Striped Riverwinder, uh, which is a Hexproof creature you can cycle for one blue. So in theory, you can create like a 4-4 Double Strike Vigilance creature. Um, you don't have Lifelink to grant unless... Attrax is actually in your graveyard. You have no way to get it back, and Attrax has a bunch of keywords. Um, I haven't been that impressed by that, but it, it's just another thing you can do. I do think the Grizzly Salvage is a super powerful card, so going back to that is interesting to me. Yeah, that interests me as well. I haven't tried that yet either. You have to give up on a lot of the interaction, right? Like that Soul Flayer build is only playing Otherworldly Gaze. It's not playing Consider, and I don't think they're playing... Fatal push. I think they're only playing Thoughtseize. They're not playing push. They're playing. They're playing some number of collective brutality. Yeah. Um. Some of them are even playing like a one of commune the gods. You're just trying to get a density of two mana cards you can play with your finding the third path, which they're maxed out on. I think finding the third path is the is the key card. I think it's the best two mana card. It also helps you find Neoform from your graveyard. Um. So I think that was the big find to upgrade the mm. deck and everything else around that is tweaking. But I agree with you. The deck is. Really vulnerable. I was almost able to beat it with some of the garbage decks I was playing this week, the Capricious Hellkite <laughs> list, uh, with basically no sideboard for it. So, you know, do with that what you will. <laughs> yeah, that that was weaker than I expected. I thought my A plan is going to be so good that they'll have they'll have to like bring in specialized interaction to hose me. That's just not the case, right? Like I can barely find the combo in many games. So very, very swingy deck. Like you're just losing, 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 and then maybe you do the thing and then win or maybe you do the thing and still lose so and then maybe you don't do the thing and then it's like man what <laughs> what are we doing out here exactly so i will post my list it had some suspect cards that you should not play in the main deck like i still kept an arcane proxy and it was atrocious however i really did like malevolent hermits like I, I put one on the sideboard and i think it's kind of the perfect card for the deck so i think you should play three or four malevolent hermits on the sideboard yeah, worth noting when, again, a similar deck, although not identical, was neoforming into the 5-5 five, five dragon and then trying to take a bunch of turns. Mm -hmm. um, their cyborg plan was like three hermits, four thoughtsies or something. So I actually think like hermit is also a grizzly salvage hit. Um, or the grizzly salvage, okay, you don't want to put it in play. You can just cast the backside from your graveyard and then they can't counter your neoform. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I, it just it has a ton of applicability. Um, yeah. The 2-1 is a beatdown. Like, it has those Planeswalkers. I, I, the card is very good in these types of shells. Agreed. And briefly, I do just want to give a shout-out to two of the cool decks I faced uh, during this Pioneer event. One of them was also playing uh, Founding the Third Path. This is a dredgeless dredge list, or as I would call it, a crabless, vineless, crab vine deck. Can you do this in Pioneer? You can still play Prize of Melgum. You can still play Narcomibo. Um, you don't get Vengevine, obviously, and you don't get Gravecrawler. You can play Silver Smoke Ghoul, so your returning package is a little bit different. You're relying on Creeping Shills to get the Silver Smoke Ghouls. And you get to play Willow Geist. Willow Geist, uh, I don't know how you feel about this card, David. This is the green one drop. It grows every time a card is exiled from your graveyard. Yeah, I've played it a handful of times. It's really terrible. Um... It is kind of cool. I will say they're not playing this card, but it's really good with Scrap Heap Scrounger. It gets two counters. Scrap Heap Scrounger exiles a creature, and then Scrap Heap Scrounger gets put into play. Um, oh, nice. So that's you can you can have some really nutty draws. Like I've seen shells like this that are also playing the um, the two one troll that can discard a creature to give it plus one plus one. Right, the Lotleth troll. Yeah, so you have like a Lotleth troll discard Scrap Heap Scrounger, discard something else on turn two. Then on turn three, you attack with a 3-3 Willow Geist because you get your Scrap Heap Scrounger back into play and your trolls also. So you're like attacking for like seven or whatever, nine on turn three, and then you kill them on turn four. It's actually like a pretty fast clock. This deck is doing something different, but just that's another yeah. variant of what you can do here. Yeah, so this deck was played by James Adams. James was using the following cards to self-mill. He was playing Breaking and Entering, Witherbloom Command, Otherworldly Gaze, Grizzly Salvage, and Founding the Third Path. 
Notably, he was not playing Stitcher Supplier, um, again, because there's, there's no real way to guarantee that it dies. He had also added two copies of Demonic Embrace, which is a card I kind of forgot existed, but this is an aura that gives plus three, plus one, and flying to your creature. You can cast it from the graveyard by paying three life and discarding a card. Does that sound right, David? It also makes him a demon, uh, I believe, which is weird flavor text, but is relevant if people are playing um, Power Word Kill. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so there may be something there. And uh, when we get to our, our brew card for this week, I have a Demonic Embrace brew that I will be proposing to you, David. <laughs> so we haven't heard the last of this card. But I just thought this was a cool way to go about putting the deck together. It also led me to make one of the worst plays in my my recent career. I just completely blew myself out and I did not understand what had happened until it had already happened to me. <laughs> so <laughs> picture this picture this scenario. Opponent plays Willowgeist on turn one. Pass it back to me. I have a fatal push, so I just like play a land and pass. Turn two, opponent casts Witherbloom Command, where they mill themselves for three to try to hit a land, and they choose uh, Drain Two Life. So they don't hit any lands off the Witherbloom Command. So the Geist just stays a 1-1, they attack for one. So I'm looking at my hand, I'm like, all right, they're clearly playing a dredge. You know, there's a prize milk in the graveyard, whatever. Might as well just fire off this push now, because... You know, I'm going to have to push that thing eventually. So I push. And he says, okay, that's fine. Go to my end step. Return the Silver Smoke Ghoul. And I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, what, what, what do you mean you return the Silver Smoke Ghoul? And he's like, well, the Willow Geist gains a life when it died. And I'm like, it does? It, it turns out it gives gives you life when it dies. Equal to its power, right? Equal to its power. And I'm like, well, that's just one. He's like, well, yeah, but I also drained you for two with a Witherbloom command. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I had no idea this was going to happen, so I inadvertently gave him the Silver Smoke Ghoul, which then brought back the prize amalgam. <laughs> amalgam. <laughs> so I went from facing a 1-1 to facing 6 power on turn 2 for no reason at all. <laughs> just, like, I had no idea this was going to happen, so read the cards. Reading cards is important, it's fun, it's healthy, and you, it may help you avoid disastrous misplays like that. That is pretty funny. Well, Will Geist is pretty good if it's doing stuff like that, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And just briefly, I also want to shout out this five-color humans deck that just obliterated me. They had Reflector Mages, which were very embarrassing for my Delve creatures in Atraxa. But it was a five-color humans, and we haven't seen a lot of five-color lately, I feel like. It's been a minute since people tried to make a five-color tribal mana base work. Yeah. They were not, however, playing Mantis Rider. Instead, they were using Reckless Stormseeker, a very powerful card as we've seen from the Red-Green Boats deck. So that became like the red splash. They were also splashing a single copy of the 1-1, sorry, the 2-2 Haste Samurai for one, the Reinforced Ronin, which happens to be a human. And they were saying that's actually pretty cute with your one drop. So at one mana, you have Experiment 1 and Hopeful Initiate. Hopeful Initiate has training, and it's usually pretty hard to like grow that thing quickly mm, interesting but with the ronin you can grow it immediately right you can immediately attack uh with a 2-2 haste on turn two train up the initiate and then the ronin does more cute stuff with like you know giving you as many extra counters on your thalios your tenant as you need it lets you control day and night very easily and if none of that's working you can just channel it so it was actually pretty cute and i was pretty impressed with the deck um this is a collected company deck so all kinds of shenanigans are possible Two players were playing the the deck. Uh, one of them crushed me and went five and three, and the other one went six and two. Cool, yeah, really interesting list. Also, only playing one basic land. If we want to talk about Thalia just being insane against this deck, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it was just a good reminder for me that I may need to update my understanding of like what creatures are available in humans. Like, I completely forgot about the Stormseeker. Um, they were playing three Anointed Peacekeepers main, which is a card that. I see play, but I haven't really thought through like what it does for the format or what it does against the metagame. And apparently it's quite useful. You know, it's better than Elite Spellbinder. It lets you tax abilities, it lets you name cards that aren't currently in their hand, and it's just like a bigger body. Yeah, I don't know if it's always better. Um, but especially in a deck with Charming Prince, I, I don't know that it's a hundred percent better, but mm. um it's I think it's an argument. You you should consider both. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Uh, yeah. So those are some of the decks that I played with and against this weekend at Hunter Burton. I had a great experience. Just great to be back out in the crowd battling with uh, fellow magicians. Yeah, and what'd you say? 500 people showed up? That's really cool. For the main event in Modern. Probably 2,000 yeah. overall just for the various events. Um, and is this in Dallas or where is this? Yeah, in Dallas. Uh, convention Center in Dallas. Okay. Not very many masks in the crowd, I have to say. <laughs> I think I was one of the last breed of the, the people who wear masks at these giant events, but it is what it is. Well, I noticed you're not sick right now, though. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I'm feeling healthy and strong. I went to a three-year-old's birthday a couple weekends ago, and I thought about wearing a mask, and I was just like, oh, man, it's just neurovirus city. <laughs> yeah. There's just, like, random little kids sitting on my lap and, like, <laughs> sneezing into my mouth, and I'm just like, oh, God, like, touching all the pizza and the chips. and Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Their mothers are insisting that I hold them. It's just like, yeah, just going to miss a day of work. There's just no doubt about that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to Mr. Schriever for the incredible uh, tournament report. Hopefully anybody else who uh, enjoyed their time at Hunter Burton can talk about that in our Discord. Love to hear any more stories. That's all the time we have for today. Our next episode, which should be out on Friday, is going to talk about <laughs> our <laughs> misadventures with the Capricious Hellraiser and our new card of the week, which is Unctus. The Grand Metatect. Until then, take care. Decklists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time for new brews with Unctus Grand Metatect in Modern and Pioneer. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.